Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Forum Club with not Bill Orr. Uh, it's Anthony <laughs> Slater and Yovan Buha to talk about a Lakers team that is kind of, you know, somewhat cruise control, but still at the top of the conference. I mean, you got, I mean, they keep going to overtime, right? I mean, o- double OT against the, the Pistons and, and overtime against the Thunder. Not the two teams in Staples Center you'd expect to go to OT with but i guess that livens up uh the proceedings a little bit yova i wish there was a camera on press row so you could see <laughs> the the collective groaning uh over the, the past two games that, that went to overtime um yeah i mean i, I thought bill ha- had a good story today uh, about how this team is kind of in this weird zone of it's the dog days of the season you know they're they're not it's not deep enough into the season yet where you're really playing for seeding. I mean, you're technically always playing for seeding, but um, you know they've kind of been in a bit of a rut despite being on a five-game win streak. Uh, and I think the last two games have really encapsulated that very well. But I think to your point, you know they're still winning, and you know that's all that matters. And I think these are the types of games. You know, I look at a team like the Clippers, who are just shorthanded and ended up losing two games at home over the weekend and like, you know, losing those two games versus the Lakers winning their two games that they probably should have lost against the Pistons and the Thunder, like that is, can be the difference between the one and the two seed or, or the two and the three seed. So I think as frustrating as some of these games have been for fans and I, I get it and I, I see it in my mentions uh, on, on a daily basis, I think as long as they continue to win, no matter how ugly it is, that's all that really matters because, you know, at this point, the Lakers are trying to get through the season healthy, get into the playoffs as a top two or three seed. And as long as they do that, I think they're in a good place. And it was a uh, successful regular season. So I I get the frustration, but I don't think it's too concerning yet. Um, you know, if if we're at game 65 and, and they're jockeying for the one seed and, and blowing games that they shouldn't be blowing, then you know maybe you could start to, to sound the alarm a little bit. But I think... Some of the overreaction I've seen, which I get, it's it's Twitter and, and fans are passionate, but uh, I think people just got to chill out. Like th- this team is fine; they, they have the second best record in the league, and uh, t- you know, to me, th- they're in a good spot. Yeah, the prohibitive favorites and nothing has changed that early in the season. So I feel like these weekly podcasts we do are more of a you know step back wider scope, where you're doing the post game podcast that you know break down more the details of, of the game, um, and from more of a separated view of of the Lakers the only thing I would say that is starting to raise a tiny alarm bells Anthony Davis's season um it's you know the stats are still fine what is he about 22 per game you know still 
solid rebounder. He still has, you know, okay defensive disruption stats. But, you know, coming in, we obviously thought he was going to maybe take a leap towards the MVP conversation. And I would say if we laid out the MVP candidates right now, would he be in the top seven, eight, nine? I'm not sure he would. I mean, LeBron clearly is uh, right up there in the top three with Jokic and Embiid, which we've discussed. But um, part of the reason why LeBron is such a strong MVP candidate right now is because he's clearly been the guiding force of this season um, uh, uh, with, alongside of Davis, who just – you know, kind of, you know, when we mentioned cruise control, he does seem to be a little bit of that. And then also the, the injury stuff that's popping up, uh, which what are, what exactly did they like write Achilles tendinopathy or like what, what was tendinosis that? not to be confused with tendinitis. I don't know the difference. <laughs> yeah. He's a little beat up. And then that all, you know, you don't like the sound of that either. Uh, I know it's like not, you know, he might even play in the next game, but it's just, Again, if we're nitpicking slash like looking at stuff that could derail them from being the favorite, it's like a really banged up Anthony Davis season. I think on the flip side, you saw how important he is defensively last night. And that was one of my takeaways from the game of, you know, I, I think like I think from a scoring perspective and, and purely if we're just looking at offensive output, AD is not having, you know, the, the type of season we're accustomed to. And, and if you look at you know, most of his statistical markers are the lowest since his second season in the league, which was really when he started to make that star jump. Uh, and then, you know, by his third season, he was a full-blown superstar. But, you know, so I think that's concerning. Um, I do think, you know, I recently wrote about 80s evolution and, and looked at different parts of his game. And, you know, kind of the, the, the thesis of the story was basically, yes, his scoring is down, his shot attempts are down. But he's doing these things that the Lakers are hoping pay off in the long run, where uh, he, he's been working on his passing out of double teams and, and talking to LeBron and Marcus Gasol on how can I, you know, find the, the cutter? How can I find the shooter on the weak side? Um, OK, if they're doubling me from here, where should that, you know, where should my teammate be on the weak side? And, and you know, where should I hit him and, and at what time and, and stuff, you know, kind of granular stuff like that. Then you have his three point shooting, which. Um, he's actually not taking as many as last season, but uh, it, it is he has the full green light from Frank Vogel of, hey, take as many threes as you want. If you're open, you should never pass up a three. Uh, defensively, he, he's never defended the perimeter as much as he's doing this season. Uh, and then leadership wise, he, he stepped up. You know, Jared Dudley had a great quote to me about um, how he, uh, you know, AD's kind of taken Montrez Harrell under his wing and gone over defensive coverages with him and, and broken down film with him. And so I, I think there, there's different ways that AD has stepped up that don't necessarily show up in the box score. Uh, but it, it is, it is concern. I think that the most concerning thing to me is, has been the passivity where he'll have stretches in a game. Um, and, and I look at that Detroit game actually, where he, he started the game six or six and had 12 early points and, and then only ended up with 30 and it felt like it could have been a game, you know, given the opponent that he could have gone for 40 plus. And I know that's not always in his nature. If, if you look at uh, his game logs and stuff like he isn't a guy who's you know constantly in that 35, 40 range. But I, I do feel like even when he's had advantageous matchups this season, he hasn't really had that killer instinct of just let me crush you and, and you know, post you up. Uh, you know, five, 10 times in a row, draw fouls, get to the rip. Like it, it's a lot of, okay, I'm doubled. I'm going to settle for the step back. Um, I, I'm going like, to, you know, pass open, pass up open threes, like stuff like that, that I, I think it's just inexcusable for, for a guy like him who just had a 
dominant playoff run. I mean, you wrote about it like at that time, it looked like he was in the conversation for best player in the league. Like, you know, some people were saying he had a better playoff run than LeBron. So I think for, for him to come off of that into this. I just voted All-Stars and I didn't put him in the front court starting. And I think that's the probably the correct decision, right? You got LeBron, Jokic, guaranteed. And then I got, you know, Kawhi, I don't know who you'd argue three, but I don't, I'm not sure he's been a top eight player so far in the league, really. There's some metrics like Raptor, uh, 538's Raptor has him actually above LeBron, I, I believe. But you know, aside no from thanks. no yeah, thanks. No, yeah, I mean, no, no, for sure. Like I, I think he's been a, a top ten player uh, when you factor in his defense, but he's more in that like eight to ten range. Whereas entering the season, I felt he was a, he was a bona fide top five guy, if not knocking on the door, top three. Yeah, and the reality is, once the playoffs come and maybe he preserves his body for it, he could have that similar type run. Lakers win the title, and we'll be going. He was top five the whole time. He was just waiting to be top five um, because that's kind of how sometimes NBA seasons work. Um, and, you know, we've we've talked about this on this podcast, too, where we where it's been um, it, it's gone opposite of what we expected. We maybe thought LeBron was going to really take his time to ease into the season coming off the bubble and, and Davis was going to kind of take the keys. Um, but in retrospect, we probably should have predicted this because Davis is the guy who's never dealt with the marathon before. Davis is the guy who I think historically, you know, his body has has hurt him or failed him at times during the regular season, knocked him out for little stretches of games. Whereas LeBron, um, I think, takes pride. In, he might play every game this season. I mean, he clearly seems to be racing towards that MVP and just like the physical shape he keeps himself in. Um, and, you know, the way you're describing the way Davis is playing, which is – you know, all I hear when you're saying some of the stuff is shine away from contact, shine away from contact, which, you know, it can be understandable if he under, if he knows the Lakers, what are they now? 19 and five, 19 and six, something like that. Going six. Yeah. Even if he plays his way, they're going to be a top two seed. And if, as long as he is committed mentally to once the real season begins and for title favorites who are going to, who can cruise control of the, to a top three seed the real season is usually it would be mid-april this year what is it like early may or something like that for the playoffs uh if he just turns it on and doesn't have that type of passivity in the playoffs at least not regularly sure he might in the game three of round one but um they're fine and, and and i guess i see no reason to believe he won't the only thing that would you know like i said kind of raise the alarm would be like if his body just which has never handled the whole Long playoffs, short off season, start another season. Um, if it is starting to just be bruised up too much, but I mean, look, these are all minor things. Um, although, like I said, the whole term of ten to no whatever wasn't great. I wonder if maybe he is dealing with something. I went back and watched. It was like the best highlights of Anthony Davis's 2019-20 season, and it was like this 20-minute YouTube video on the NBA's YouTube channel, and. Watching some of those highlights and then contrasting that with the way he looks now, I forgot how many lobs he had last season, but it was like, it felt like every different game they were showing, he had a different lob, you know, from LeBron, from Rondo. And I know the offense is a little bit different and he hasn't been used inside as much as previous seasons. But I just think like from an athleticism standpoint, he does not look as athletic as he was last season. And and that was something that he actually talked about in my story. Frank Vogel talked about it where, you know, Anthony is a guy who in part because he has that injury history and he is someone that is, you know, seemingly constantly banged up or right. It's like almost like once a game or once every other game, he has 
some type of collision where he's holding his hand or his ankle or something. He's a guy who likes to decompress after the season, take six to eight weeks off, really unwind, just not touch a basketball, relax, recover, and then get back into things and, and kind of use that you know next two to three months to ra- ramp up in, into training camp. And he didn't have that. So he admitted that he, he basically just took the entire offseason off and, and started using the condensed training camp and preseason as his ramp up time. So I, I do think it explains a little bit of his slow start. Uh, but we don't know how long he's dealt with this Achilles discomfort. You know, this is the first we heard of it a couple of days ago. Um, so, you know, maybe next time we talk to him, we'll be able to get a little more insight into that. But I, I think that would explain maybe some of the stuff if, if maybe he's been dealing with something we didn't know about. Yeah, well, remember in the playoffs or is the finals, he went down like he was dealing with the heel thing at the end. Remember, there was that one moment where he really went and like grabbed it and the broadcast went to commercial and you were like uh is davis out for the series right now he ended up coming back but you know he got banged up in those playoffs and i think historically he does you know get nicked up um you mentioned the stats i just pulled it up um nine alley-oops only so far this season uh he had 71 last season so he's definitely on pace for a lot fewer there 30 i think it's what 32 dunks only so far last year he had 158 dunks um so yeah i mean that that speaks to what we're talking about he's just in the fray less right he's kind of floating a bit more um which again understandable as long as that gear is there when it matters looking for an assist with your credit card but you can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. You want to talk LeBron? I mean, triple-double last night. There's this talk of, and it's, I'm dealing with it covering the Warriors too, with like, is Steph Curry better than he's ever been? I probably don't think LeBron is better than he's ever been right now, but like, you could make an argument, which is absurd at his age. I think he's more skilled than he's ever been. I think he has more in the toolkit than he's ever had. And, you know, it's not uncommon. Like, I think of a guy like Jason Kidd, who who developed into a, a pretty good, you know, if not elite three-point shooter towards the latter half, latter third of his career, coming into the league being ace and kid because he didn't have a J. And you've seen it, especially at the superstar level, certain guys will add things into their skill set later in their career. The problem is at that point, their athleticism has waned and they're no longer physically what they were. And with LeBron, I mean, his athleticism has waned, but he was so far ahead of everybody else that 
he's still, I think, in the top, I don't know, 95 percentile. Like, I don't know where you'd put him. But He's not the high flyer, but like just to me, the condition of like ability to run at all times, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, just made a layup sprinting back down court. Okay, I'm going to like, you know, go over here. I'm going to make this switch. I'm going to do this defensively. Like it's cardiovascular condition that he's just kept himself in that type of shape, which matters so much on a basketball court where, yes, he's not going to post or dunk nearly like he used to, but if he could just run up and down the court like he can, like that is so important. That's so valuable. Yeah, and if you give him an opening, he's still going downhill in in like a split second. And I think the three-point shooting has really been the thing that's changed it because that was always the thing with LeBron's game where even now people still go under, you know, pick and rolls against him. That's the coverage, right? You want LeBron taking threes. That's better than him going downhill where he can finish through contact at an and one dunk on someone, kick out to shooters. Like him going downhill is still, to me, one of the scariest things in the NBA. So you'll always give him the three, but when he's making it like this, I don't really know how you're supposed to defend him. Well, let me ask you, I I pulled it up. He is shooting 39.8%, basically 40% right now from three on 6.8 attempts per game. Last season, he was at 34.8% on 6.3 attempts. So he has jumped. This isn't like, you know, young career LeBron. We're talking about that, you know, guys in, on his first Cleveland stint def- defenses like Greg Popovich during the finals would have people go under the screens. Obviously, he's built his jump shot to a much more reliable, dangerous level. But just last season, he was at 34.8%. Now he's at 40. Are you a believer that this is what he is? Or do you think this is a hot 25-game stretch, but still he's generally in 36 35 range i'm a believer i would even say like 37 38 range he shot two for 10 last night on threes so i think he was at almost 41 percent. and we're still at the point of the season where you know a two for 10 performance does swing your percentage i don't buy him necessarily at a 40 percent. i'd be surprised by that i guess i wouldn't be shocked but i'd probably be surprised but if you told me he ends up being you know, 38% on six and a half attempts a game. And that's all you can ask for from LeBron. He's so efficient at the rim. He's improved his mid-range game. You know, he, he kind of has that Dirk step back fadeaway now. Um, his post game's gotten better. Like he can do anything inside the arc. It's always kind of been outside the arc. And now that he's hitting threes the way he is, and especially hitting step back threes, like, you know, a lot of his threes, it's not like he's taking a, a bunch of catch and shoot, like spot up threes. For the most part, it, it is off the dribble, step back, you know, pulling up out of the pick and roll, stuff like that. Like those are tougher threes than, than the catch and shoot variety. And and for him to shoot, you know, 37, 38% on that, um, I think is a real improvement from where he was earlier in his career. And uh, I think it's just a, a wrinkle in his game that if that translates into the postseason, again, I just think when the Lakers are running LeBron AD pick and roll, I really don't know how you're supposed to match up with that defensively. I want to talk to you about the vibe of the season. Lakers are about 25 games in. We're, we're to a subsection of the season where in normal times it would start to get uh, pretty monotonous. And I mean, you, you, you've you covered the beat long enough. You know, you know the dog days of, of seasons. You add 25 extra layers onto that this season with the COVID protocols, just the vibe of the country, the vibe of the globe right now. Um, and you throw from a Lakers perspective, you throw on, you know, they, they were already going to, going to have a tough time being motivated during a season where they were pretty much guaranteed a top season could cruise. Um, 
I'm seeing quotes now. I'm like, Jamal Murray's talking about, man, I can't even barely shoot except for on game days. I know covering the Warriors, Draymond Green has talked about the mental toll it takes to have to go to the facility every day for testing and just all the different regimen and stuff that they can, you know, have to do now and also can't do on the road now, right? You can't just go, oh, I like, I'm in New York. I love this restaurant. Let me go out to that. Um, what is your sense of where the Lakers are mentally grinding through this i think they're in a good spot and this is a credit to lebron he's ran a tight ship there i, I think he, he's kept everybody in line in in terms of the covid protocol and i know you know guys have been candid that it's not necessarily easy but i, I think when you're the defending champs right like you, you have a certain standard that you hold yourself to you, you tasted that champagne you, you want to taste it again and then they brought in guys you know in dennis in trez in uh, Mark, who's a, a former champion, um, and wh- why am I blanking on the, uh, the, the oh, and, and Wes, um, who who you know have either made deep playoff runs or, or haven't made deep playoff runs and are, are hungry to do that, and I think it's just it's a good group from a competitive standpoint. Like that has been the thing that um, I think has maybe even impressed me in some of these recent you know, lull games that, you know, a lot of teams w- would roll over. Like I, I, I saw it, uh, you know, last season with the Clippers sometimes when they were, they were playing one of those teams that was a lottery team that had no business being ahead of them. Um, you know, and, and, and they got up 10, 15 points with eight minutes left in the fourth and they would kind of roll over. This Lakers team doesn't do that. And that, that stood out for me, you know, from day one on, on the beat, even in the preseason where no matter, you know, who they're playing, they're going to go to the final buzzer and you don't always see that from a championship level team. And I think there is a level of competitiveness with them of we want to be the one team that doesn't have a game postponed and that's out of their control, but they don't want it to be from their end. You know, they've only had one guy in contact tracing, Alex Caruso, um, you know, everyone else has been fine. And I think I would guess that that's the best. I don't know if any other team has had fewer than that. So I think for them, it has been a grind. You know, they've talked about not practicing, how, how that's kind of affected some of the, the turnovers and the on-court stuff. But when you know you can win a championship, and if not, you know, that you're the favorite, I think there's an added level of motivation to kind of just deal with all of this. For sure. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. What else about this team sticks out to you as like larger scope stories right now? I'll flip this one to you because I'm interested in in your take on this. So I I do this State of the Lakers piece, which I did in the past with the Clippers, where kind of in in every 10 to 12 game increments, I I look at 10 interesting storylines and kind of almost try to put it together like uh, almost like a book of the season of like what was interesting for for kind of this stretch and for the the, the first I think I did it after 11 games or so um the, the Lakers were in line uh defensively pretty much with, with, with the same as last season uh in, in terms of blocks in, in terms of their field goal percentage allowed at the rim like all the rim protection concerns had not materialized and, and you know they're actually better in some categories uh, compared with last season. But as of now, uh, that, that has gone down the, the tank. And 
The Lakers are uh, bottom five. They're actually last in the league in uh, field goals uh, allowed at the rim. They're second to last in the league in field goal attempts at the rim. Uh, they are 18th in field goal percentage allowed. So the the rim protection is a concern. Um, you know, it, it has materialized. That you know they are struggling um, to keep teams out of the paint. Uh, you know, they're bottom five in points in the paint allowed as well. So, um, I, you know, with all that said, they're still first in the league in defense. Yeah. So it doesn't really pretty, make pretty sense. Easily too. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of confusing. But I guess, have you noticed that kind of shift where it has become a little bit more concerning? And have you seen how, I guess, they've still been able to be so successful defensively despite it's like when you get to the rim, you're, you're probably scoring. Yeah, I mean, I think the story of that can be told in like some of their defenders, right? Marcus Hull's not going to block much at the rim, but he just positionally can still be an effective center. Um, I do think some of the, I mean, we know why they have some of this lessening rim protection, losing JaVale and Dwight, but also it's the conversation we had earlier, right? Anthony Davis should be a top five interior defender, a top three, top maybe top one, you know, if he was going full throttle but he's not really i mean like right now miles turner is a better interior defender rudy gobert obviously is like you know name of probably several in the league who are just having a better interior defensive season than davis even though we know what davis can be when he's at his level but he just hasn't been um they still they're just so remain so veteran in their scouting report schemes i think lebron's having a good defensive season and but he's not a shot blocker at all he's not even really that much of a rim protector but they just i think what they can do so well defensively that other teams struggle with you know i'm covering a younger team right now that sometimes fails to know its personnel know its scouting reports where oh wait oh, i forgot that center can shoot the three off oh, you know i need to get out on them um they're just so smart it's such, such a smart team um and I, when you're as smart as they are you can n- defend without necessarily getting those counting numbers, right? I mean, Hassan Whiteside led the NBA in blocks last year. He's a bad NBA defender. Um, So sometimes those pure numbers um, don't tell the full story. What you just revealed that surprised me is like, sounds like you're saying the amount of shots that are given up at the rim, the percentage of, or the paint points that are given up, that does surprise me that it's that bad, yet they, I mean, I'm looking right now, they're like almost too full points per 100 better than the next best defense in the league. I think that is what I'm concerned with. I figured the percentage allowed would probably be worse and the shot blocks or you know the, the blocks per game wouldn't be as much. But it, it's going from being a top five team in terms of not allowing uh, shots at the rim to being a bottom two team and shot. like that that is a huge gap and are people missing at the rim i should probably get a better look at the shot profile i assume like are they still getting a, a lot of mid-rangers and like really holding off threes like where where are they successful from a shot profile standpoint it's the mid-range and threes so they're a top five three-point defense you know top five mid-range defense so it's, it's basically everywhere else that they're good um, I think the the one range they're they're not so great in is like long twos, like you know twenty to twenty two feet. But I think the three point defense has been good, and, and you know there's always some luck involved in, in three point defense. Yeah. But I think to your point, it, it is 
the, the scouting report, I, I think they, they know who to help off of. They're not shy. To me, like the concern has, has been when a guy gets blown by and, and they have some pretty bad blow by, like, I feel like they have like five really bad blow by's a game, which, you know, is, is kind of normal. The lack of help on that is where like, you know, they'll just have these plays where, you know, a guy will drive from 25 feet and nobody rotates over, or it's like Dennis Schroeder <laughs> rotating over and he's six one and, and not going to stop anybody. So them figuring that out and they've talked about it during the season like the low man uh on the weak side has to you know be in a certain spot and he's not always in that spot but um i think to go from being one of the very best in the league to being one of the very worst was not a drop that anyone anticipated and you know they're still again the best defense in the league despite that but it is something that they're going to have to figure out come playoff time because I you know I think it's hard to win with that being your weakness defensively yeah I mean it's one of those things that can be thought of as not a problem until it's a problem right and suddenly you know it's like whatever they've still got the best defense in the league it's fine it's fine that suddenly they're in a, you know a, a conference finals or an NBA finals and they're playing some hyper athletic team that strength is getting to the rim and you're like oh yeah this flaw that we kind of saw all season that really didn't affect the fact that they're still a you know the first seed in the conference it 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 killed their season essentially um so yeah that is certainly something to monitor and it was kind of the give and take that we knew they were doing this offseason when they went smarter and more offensively minded at the big man spot with Gasol and Harrell over obviously Dwight and JaVale um but you know it's fine I'm not sure I see a team out there that's like bouncing and ready to to exploit that you know and that's what the playoffs are a lot of times it's like you don't want to hit the wrong matchup um but you know it's not like they're getting ready to go up in the west finals against like the young westbrook durant thunder who you know would just eat you up athletically and like westbrook would just be at the rim at the rim at the rim like i'm not like who i mean and we can broaden this out to like you know, where the landscape of the league is like, what are you seeing across the league? Is anyone emerging as a bad matchup? I mean, the way Utah shooting the three must be noted, you know, they're basically nearly near the league leading attempts and, and their percentage is great, but that's not a team that's just going to eat you up at inside. So I'm not sure there is like a bad matchup emerging. I talked about this last night on the podcast. I think the one, one troubling concern for people have been talking about the shooting um, because, you know, during this stretch, the Lakers have, have struggled, uh, percentage wise, they're now down to 11th in the league after being top five for most of the season. Um, so, you know, I, I think them being top five was always a little bit of fool's gold. Like, you know, this team doesn't have that one elite shooter or, or even two elite shooters, right? Like, I, I think if you look at the roster, it, it's guys that can hit open shots, but they don't have that. Um, you know, I, I, well, I, I don't even want to say Steph Curry because, you know, he's a different level, but they don't, like, they don't have that shoot. Duncan. Yeah, they don't, they don't have a Duncan Robinson, a J.J. Redick, um, a Buddy Heel, like one of those guys who can really space the floor. Uh, so so e- even guys like KCP and Alex Crusoe shooting 40 something percent, like that's because they're getting a lot of open looks. So I, I think them regressing a little bit makes sense. But where the, the, the regression that has concerned me has been in the three point attempts. Um, where, you know, they, they were hovering around that like 31, 32 uh, per, per game. And, you know, it's it's, a, it's not exact because, you know, that's not uh, per 100 possessions, but 
they've been under 30 for you know a, a few games now and they just got back up over uh but but to me I, I think if i look at a weakness with this team or a potential weakness it's that you know they are a better three-point shooting team than last season's team but they still are you know 27th in the league in, in three-point attempts per game and, and that to me is just like if you're facing a Brooklyn, if you're facing a Clippers, a Utah, let me. I'm looking at it right now. the The top three three point percentage teams in the league are the top four: Clippers, Jazz, Bucks, Nets. There you, we there may you go. have just labeled their four <laughs> biggest, you know, rivals. And then if we go three point attempts, which is what you're kind of more interested in, you know, Portland's one, Lillard's Jack, and McCollum's Jack, and they're not a threat. But Utah's two, and that's what makes Utah interesting. Now is this whole they're shooting 42 a game which is a crazy amount, and they're making over 40% of them. Now, you know, we talked sustainability earlier. We'll see. But, yeah, I mean, they're almost like I when I used to cover the Warriors-Rockets series, it would be like, well, the Houston's going to try to out-math you. Yeah, Warriors, you're a better team, but what if they're just really hot during a seven-game series and they're going to shoot near 53s because D'Antoni's telling them to? And what if during that subsection of a series – they shoot 44% from three, which is possible, right? You know, teams do that over a whatever game stretch. Um, I guess that's Utah's argument, and they're trying to outmath the Lakers, even if we don't believe they're as good a team as the Lakers. Exactly, and I think with the Lakers, you know, taking so few threes, it's, you know, you don't even have to take a crazy amount, but I just look at it as in some of these games that have been close against lottery teams or, or some of the games they've lost, they've really lost the three-point battle. And that to me is, is one of the recipes to beat the Lakers is you, you just take, you know, 10 to 15 more threes than them, which I, I don't think is that unrealistic. And if you have a good shooting night, three is worth more than two. And, and we've seen good three point shooting teams punch above their weight. And, and I think if the Lakers, because they, they, I mean, they, they've had some games recently where they don't even hit 23, I mean, and 23 point attempts. And if, if you're taking like 18 threes and your opponent is taking 37, like th- they can beat you just from that. So I-, I know the Lakers' strength is their ability to score inside. I mean, I mean, they have two of the best finishers in the league, and uh, AD and LeBron, and-, and then you got a guy like Trez and Dennis can get downhill, and Alex and KCP are so dangerous in transition, and, and THT is finding himself, and like they have all these guys who can go downhill and, and finish in the paint, and, and that's great. And, and you know, if-, if you can get a layup, that's better than than anything, arguably, right? But I, I think. You can't also like lose the three point battle that much, though, especially against these elite. Like, I just look at the Brooklyn matchup, right? I think Brooklyn, I mean, I don't know if they're going to be able to stop the Lakers on any possession, uh, but if they can figure out some type of coherent game plan and at least bother them a little bit, like they have the weapons uh, and the shooters to really make you pay. And if KD's taking, you know, eight to 10 threes, Kyrie's taking eight to 10 threes, James Harden's taking eight to 10 threes, like, that right there is almost 33s before even factoring in a guy like Joe Harris. And I just, I, I think the, the Lakers can, if they get into a shootout, potentially lose because of their lack of volume. Yeah, for sure. Uh, last subject I want to talk to you about, um, just trying to map out like the back end of what a playoff rotation would look like. I mean, I just uh, sorted by minutes played. LeBron, AD, Schroeder, Caldwell Pope, Harrell, Kuzma, that's their top six in minutes played. Wesley Matthews is actually seventh. Um, but we are like to me he's he's obviously more on the fringe. Gasol is going to get his starts in minutes. Caruso will. Um then, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker, Marquise Morris. Like what 
how do you think rotation spots like 8, 9, 10, 11 are starting to to form, particularly when we talk about Vogel in the playoffs maybe cutting it down to 9 or so? Yeah, so Wes just had a big game. That was what I wrote I about that. last night. Yeah, yeah so he, he came back from the dead uh, with, with AD and, and Alex out. Vogel stuck with the 9-man rotation, but but slid Wes and, and Keefe back in there. And Wes looked really good. I mean, to me, it was probably his best game of the season when factoring in the context of he played the final seven minutes. He hit a couple big threes. He had a big steal, um, just played some good defense. So that's all they need from him. Uh, and I th- so I, I think the it looks to me like the the six, if we're looking at like six, seven, eight, nine, ten, six is probably Trez. I think seven is Kuz. Eight is Alex, nine is THT, 10 is Wes, and then 11 is Keefe. So I think Keefe is still the odd man out. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Vogel stretches the rotation now to nine and a half, maybe 10 guys with, with Wes being that 10th guy. Um, but I, I do think come playoff time, he has kind of you know tipped his, his hand in that uh, I think the nine guys he's been rolling with are the nine guys that he trusts and, and have been the, their nine best players this season. You know, I, I think Wes... If you're playing the Clippers, if you're playing the Nets, if you're playing the Celtics, he has value as a wing defender um, and then also, you know, a floor spacer. But aside from that, Keith and West just, you know, I think bring the, the the least to the table. Like, you know, they basically are three and D guys who can only do three and D things. And if you look at the net ratings and, and lineup data, like those, you know, the Lakers have been worse those have been the two worst rotation guys from a performance perspective. Uh, Whereas a guy like THT can do a lot. He can run pick and roll, you know, secondary playmake defensively. He's been pretty impressive. So I I think the Lakers have figured out their their top nine. Uh, It's the starters plus Trez, Kuz, Alex, and and THT. I I do think that with some of the heavy minutes LeBron and AD have had to log recently, uh, you know, Frank might go to a little bit of a bigger rotation for, for the next few weeks. Uh, bringing West back in, but longer term, you know, to your point, they can't go more than eight or nine. So, uh, you know, I, I look at guys like THT and West as the fringe guys come playoff time. Uh, whereas, you know, the top eight to me is is pretty set. Makes sense. All right, I think that'll do it for this week on the the Forum Club without Bill Orm. Can we just label it that now? <laughs> and uh, Lakers coming up, you know, Thunder, Grizzlies, Nuggets again in Denver, which will be more interesting. And then, I mean, probably the game I have my eye most on in this last little subsection before the All Star break, which we didn't even get into this All Star game, but um, is February twenty fourth at Utah Jazz. Well, like I mentioned, I think the Jazz are the one, you know. Number one seed as we're speaking right now. I think they're 19 and 5. So that's probably the best matchup of the of the next few weeks. Just see how that plays out, uh, particularly in Utah. So all right, Yovan. We'll talk again next week. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100 percent guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.